you don't care if the truth makes you look good or bad. And when you really tell the truth and you mean it, people listen. And when they listen and when you're a bit crazy and when you, they don't know what to take of you, I say what I want, when I want, I don't care about a reaction. It's my opinion. Hello and welcome to The Drive. My name is Danny Johnson. This week on the show, we've got an interview with Kobe Abaddon about SAS Australia, which is a reality show that he's currently starring in. He's been hanging out of helicopters and scaling mountains while being yelled at by ex-Marines, special forces type characters. But before we get to that, let's do what we always do and chat to Stab's editor-in-chief, big dick power surfer, Mr. Brendan Buckley. I'm good. I got I got a thing with name storms though. I got beef with name storms. Name storms? What's a name storm when they when they name the storm? Yeah. Yeah. I'm convinced, okay, if you took like the same strength wind and it was blowing over the same expanse of ocean for the same amount of time and you just didn't name the storm, the waves would be thirty percent better. Does that work there too? Like I know I Cyclone Oma comes to my mind as a thing that did not live up to that but over here i swear in the northern atlantic i don't i haven't really been running a running a a personal tally on that the only thing that i remember about name storms in australia is that for a long time they were all female names and i think after a while the women were like hang on a minute like is this like some sort of (laughs) slight the, is this calling us like overly emotional comparing naming all these like storms after us? Like, can we even this out a little bit? And now we alternate between male and female names. Okay. That's very, that's, that's forward. That's progressive. <laughs> it's finally time. Stab Highway presented by Monster Energy is here. Episode one. We are live. We've been talking about this thing coming out for, I think, Three weeks. I think we jumped the gun and said it was going to be out last week and then it wasn't, but this is officially it. Yeah. How do you feel about it, Buck? Are you excited? I was fortunate enough to get to see the episode before the general public and I am very excited. Um, it's hard to watch it and not get sucked right in. Mm. Uh, you know, you just, you got Harry Bryant naked at Deba immediately and it looks cold. I didn't think that is it fake cold? You know how sometimes like it's fake cold, people just wear jackets and it kind of looks cold, but really it's like it's like 65 degrees Fahrenheit. When he's at Diva, it looks like real cold. It was surprisingly super cold that day. Uh, it, there was this cold front. We went to start this this trip and there was a cold snap that just came through really unexpected for that time of year. I mean, it can get a little bit cold, but it was particularly cold, like really cold winds and I know that a couple of the a couple of the surfers started the wetsuit challenge on that time, and Sean Manners, I remember that that night, he was he was still in his wetsuit from surfing that day, and just like shivering, like standing <laughs> next to the heater, like and yelling at people who left the door open for letting the cold air. And yeah, it was particularly cold. And the thing about Harry's nude surf is, it, he, I mean, I've seen it uncensored, and I've seen. Um, basically inside him i've seen his junk while surfing he was he was not only he was ripping and it was the ultimate statement for him to go and just surf at d-bar which is typically such a crowded wave and he did it in front of all the other teams it was the it was just the ultimate start to the trip but was start to this series but the, the thing that you don't really see or you don't get to see in this first episode is that he'd been up all night 
uh, partying. Like so many people because of COVID hadn't seen their friends in so long and this is the first night, yeah. first night everyone got together. And so, yeah, he, he'd been up all night and so it was an amazing performance regardless but the fact that, the fact that he hadn't slept and he had that kind of energy uh, and was ripping in the nude was, yeah, it was so impressive. I mean, that makes it really inspiring. Like you said, he was ripping. Like he's proper landing airs, just fully nude. I was tripping on the fact there was that D-Bot too. I guess, you know, it was a weird day like we've been talking about, but he's a high profile surfer and surfing so popular there that like he's, I'd imagine, gets recognized anytime he paddles out pretty much anywhere, especially d I think when you have projects like this, like it's probably easy to look at it like your head, you're just so in the headspace of it happening and you kind of forget that the rest of the world has no idea what you're doing and is just so confused by <laughs> the majority of your actions. And I couldn't help but think of that when, when I was watching uh, Harry serve Diva nude. So I was just like checking, I was just like, what the fuck? Like Harry Bryant is just landing Shovitz naked right now. Like, I, do you paddle out at that point? I don't even know what you do. If, if, I, if you showed up to check the waves and Harry Bryant is doing Shovitz naked, I don't know if you go out or not. I really don't. What do you think? Yeah, that has to be a deterrent, doesn't it? You said you saw inside of him. I'm not sure if I want that experience. (laughs) (laughs) Stab Highway presented by Monster Energy for anyone who hasn't uh, been across it, hasn't listened to previous episodes of this podcast or hasn't seen any of the promotion on Stab. It's essentially... Uh, Stab's version of King of the Road. I mean, we avoided King of the Road. We didn't. We didn't go and rewatch that series when we developed this concept. But it's obviously inspired by King of the Road on some in some level. And um, but that's the easiest way to get your head around what this thing is. Sixteen servers on the road for ten days in four teams. And one of the one of the real big distinctions from King of the Road is that all these surfers showed up and had really no idea what was going to go down. There'd been a few rumors floating around, but pretty much unknown what was going to happen. They didn't know they would be split into four teams. They didn't know how the teams would be chosen. They didn't know they'd be given a booklet with 30 challenges that they'd need to complete. And the choosing of the teams was one of the, one of the most like sort of fascinating parts. So what we did was we got the four captains, which were the four females on the trip, and they then one by one went and selected surfers and i mean that is just such an awkward weird outdated schoolyard tactic to pick teams and seeing who got picked first and last and and the dynamics of that the only rule for the picking teams was that macy callahan wasn't allowed to pick sheldon simkus because they're their boyfriend and girlfriend other than that it was just on the, them picking them on the fly and um Dion Aegis was also out all night with Harry the night before. So yeah. he, he showed up and he was in an okay mood having not slept but then he got put in a team with like no friends, <laughs> none of his like buddies and he was just he's, he's, he just put his black hood on, he was wearing black pants and he just had like the darkest energy and um, that, was, Incredible. that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny to watch. He was just kind of milling around the beach, didn't surf, just kind of walking around by himself on that first day and um, – Noah Dean goes like, oh, Dark Hollow Soul. Because he's like, <laughs> remember, remember Dion's movie, Dark Hollow? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. It was heavy. He was just floating around in a world of pain. And then he obviously came good as the, as the trip went on. But I don't know if you know this, but 10 years ago, uh, something similar was attempted by a magazine called Transworld Surf. It 
went into print, which I don't think is the best way for this kind of stuff to live. You know, you kind of want to see the things moving. But uh, yours truly, I was actually the MVP. No I way. Yeah, yeah. I heard you were part of something like this, but I, I didn't know I didn't know much about it. So what were some of the challenges? You got oh, no way you had to get a tattoo. <laughs> I have a Huntington Beach tattoo on my arm. It's the only tattoo I have, and it is the, the logo for the town of Huntington Beach. No way. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. It's well hidden though in your armpit there. I like that. I for the listeners the at home, Buck just gave me a nice little preview of his his only tat and it's it's quite beautiful. Yeah, well the thing is the day before there's a challenge to get your your chest waxed. And I was, you know, it was ten years ago, but I was still a furry little friend. I was a little, you know, muskrat. <laughs> and somebody else did the chest wax thing, but while we were in there, they're like, let's get a funny photo of somebody doing their armpit. And I was like, fine, I'll do my armpit because it, it hurt really bad. I guess that was the point. Um, so I had this nice, freshly waxed armpit. And so I was going to get this tattoo of a town I don't care about. Um, it seemed like that was a logical place to put it. And it didn't It didn't line up perfectly. Like my hair didn't kind of overtake it entirely, but it's still something that like I'll go – Honestly, I can go months at a time without thinking about it. Like, I ne- you never see your armpits sometimes. Like, if I'm stretching or stuff for whatever reason, I catch it and I'm like, oh, shit, that's that's there until my body decomposes. Oh, that's so good. <clears throat> oh, man. I love that. I love knowing that about you. Yeah, yeah. MVP. I won MVP. What was the, what was the key thing that got you that MVP? I think it was a BMX race, but we had sidecars. You know, it was pretty easy to kind of wreck going off jumps with the sidecar BMX thing. There was nothing about this challenge that required nudity, but I went ahead and just did a naked lap. And my friend, my own team member, actually, he got me. He put a stick in my spokes um, on my front wheel. And so I was just naked on this BMX bike and I went just like over the bars, laid out naked into the dirt. In not-so-happy news, we have a massive oil spill in Huntington Beach. So last weekend, 144,000 gallons of crude oil leaked out of an Amplify Energy Corp pipeline, and it's fucked up. Obviously, it's an environmental disaster. In our little world, it means that you can't go surfing. Right now, they're saying, at least in Huntington, they're saying it's going to be anywhere from two weeks to two months, which just... To me, it seems like an absurd reason. Like, it sounds like they just like this number two. Uh, but <laughs> Huntington Beach, you can't surf. Newport, you can't surf. Dana Point and Laguna, I don't think you could surf at the moment. It's going to be a little bit better for those people because, you know, they're not right there where it's spilled. But it's fucked up. This is a really good time of the year to surf over there. And it's just really sad to see. I really feel for everybody there right now. Yeah, a horrendous time for surfers and infinitely more horrendous time for the wildlife of the area. It's just, it's so horrifying and sad. I feel like it's just, it's just so heartbreaking when you hear those things. That huge oil spill off the Gulf of Mexico in 2010. And I just remember the, I mean, the, the impacts of that are still going on today. And you just think like, oh, how does this stuff still happen? Surely... 
we have the technology to to not let this happen ever at any any cost. It's so heartbreaking that the, it's it's happened again. I know. And one thing that's crazy to me is that this came within a week of the U.S. Open. I know. And, and what do you think is going to happen? I mean, if it's stra- two weeks, is people will be able to tolerate that, but. Two months in in the prime time of you to surf. Do you think people are going to risk it and paddle out and essentially navigating this crude oil? It'd be pretty hard to. I mean, it's it's hard to really behave logically when you see a fun wave in front of you and you haven't surfed in a while. And you just got maybe some other stuff going on in life. And you just really want to go out. Um, I could see how somebody could just like impulsively jump in the water. I could see how I would do that probably. Um, but at least, you know, I think if they, if somebody's got the time and can drive, they could at least go get some waves. They drive out of it a bit, which is a bummer. I mean, driving in Southern California is pretty much the worst thing that you could ever do in the world. It's miserable. Mm. And Huntington, Surf City, USA, it's obviously something close to your heart. You have the tattoo under your armpit. I do, yeah. Literally close to your heart. Yep. Did this hit you even harder? It did, like as a, as a, everybody knows that when you care about something, the best way to showcase that on your body is to uh, get it, put an ink on your body in your armpit. (laughs) Big wave surf contests are dead. Not really, we hope not, but this is a really weird year for them. Uh, So far on the WSL schedule, all that's listed is a, toe contest at Nazare and a men's only Jaws paddle contest potentially. Uh, it's weird. I mean, things are kind of coming back to life in the world. Obviously, the CS is going now, the CT has been going, and it just seems like that the world opening back up hasn't applied to big wave events yet. Um, another thing to note is that so far, no big wave award nominees have been announced. Um, which is fucking crazy because the year that we're missing includes that Peter Mel wave. And I think that thing should just be put, it needs to be like cataloged and like remembered somehow. It'd just be weird for that not to be like wave of the year that we can remember forever, whatever it is. That was just such a crazy wave that, uh, it needs oh, that to wave be. Where he totally outran the barrel and, and then, uh, yeah, where he <laughs> dodged it. Yeah. <laughs> he no, took off like his shoulder. <laughs> Kind of shoulder up the thing and yeah 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 so it, what is going on it's it's literally just economic forces at play here uh, craig jarvis wrote a really interesting story on the site and, and he covered it but how do you sum it up is it is it economic forces that are at play it's hard to say i mean i think the pandemic is obviously the big driving force you know you can't big wave events are are harder than you know other WSL events because you have to get everybody there on limited notice. You know, you mm-hmm. can lock a, a CT window in and sort visas, sort quarantine if you have to, all that. Uh, big wave events when you're trying to get people from all over the world to fly to one place on like three days notice, that's a different animal. Yeah. And so obviously it makes sense why we haven't seen any since the pandemic started. But it's just weird to note, like we're told that the the big wave awards will happen this year. It's just weird that they haven't been announced yet. Usually it would have been, they would have been announced for a few months by now. Um, and the last time they ran, the prize purse was 350 K. And so that's a lot of money that people are potentially not making that were, that, 
you know, they had that going in years past. So I still think it's the pandemic's fault. And we're hearing whispers that things are going to change. Uh, one, like I said, that the the awards will come back. And two, I guess there's a bit of an alliance that's formed. And they're trying to work things out with the WSL. We're also hearing whispers of a potential Rebel Tour type situation. So no way. I think things are going to change. Eddie Rothman's the big famous quote thing. was embedded People in the story. People risking their lives. You know, not like some cowboy that rides bulls in Wyoming is going to watch a wave this big just because the guy gets 100 grand for doing a wing ding on a dang dang, you know. So if you put on TV waves of consequence and he's watching somebody ride a 30, 50 foot wave, he's got his fucking heart in his throat watching that thing. You're going to get some viewers. What do you think about Eddie's theory there that the big wave competitions have much more financial potential than and than say the small wave world tour well first of all the small wave world tour (laughs) that's not what it's called that's what it it probably should be called i'm going to start calling it that well i mean sometimes it gets a little bigger but i mean it's they're small waves contextually so it's like i guess we can call it the small wave compared to the big wave world tour world tour yeah i like it small wave world tour i think it's really good uh First of all, that Eddie Rothman quote is one of my favorite sound bites in surfing. For doing a wing ding on a dang dang, you know? It's just incredible. Everything about it, it's 10 out of 10. I feel like his logic is a little flawed though. I think it's a little overly simplistic because big wave context might have further reach in that they'll make a newsreel and they'll, you know, be shown worldwide and they'll engage people. But it's not really for a long amount of time like I, I interviewed Kai Lenny on this show once and even he admitted that he's just a couple of seconds in people's Instagram feed and then they're like on to the next thing you could go ride a hundred foot wave and then be walking through the airport six hours later and not one person could recognize you or know who you are or let alone care you know it's almost just like candy for them to watch on Instagram for 10 seconds and then they move on with their day I feel like if you want to like actually commodify someone's attention, you need to hold it for a, a lot longer and, and do it repeatedly, repeatedly. Like frequency is so much more important than, re- than reach. And, you know, someone watching multiple events and, and following a tour is going to be so much worth so much more than just hitting people once. How long have you lived in Byron for? <laughs> well, what do you mean? I, just answer the question. Uh, probably five years. And you're already talking about frequencies. i get what you mean there um the one thing i noticed is that okay on the wsl's youtube they have 17 videos that have racked up over a million views Mm -hmm. eight of those have been big wave clips Mm. and so you could i think you could easily build the case that it is more interesting than than the small wave world tour to the general public. Um, I think the HBO show 100 Foot Wave kind of proved that too. Like there is just something really compelling about watching somebody slide down the face of a massive wave. The problem when it comes to events is that, you know, big waves, usually you need such a big period, which means you're going to have like hour long lulls almost. Can't really see the, the cowboys in Wyoming sitting through an hour lull just to just to watch it you know they're gonna need some wing dings some dang dangs to keep them keep them hooked 
I think those metrics that you mentioned don't, I mean, other than YouTube ads, like pre-roll ads that, that might calculate to be a little bit of cash, I don't think that is necessarily much more than, than really a vanity metric because I don't know how you sell that. Well, I've got a question for you. You know what I've always wondered? How would you feel if the CT had one big wave stop? like proper big wave, like somehow they figured it out where you had to show up to like Mavericks and compete there on a good day. Yeah, that to me is the most fascinating uh, thing that the WSL could do. I, I think that is for sure something that could happen. And it's it's a funny one because when they were gifted the most incredible conditions for that Volcom competition at Fiji, it was during the window, they cancelled the competition for the day and it was just the most pristine and perfect. And a lot of the surfers that were in the comp paddled out anyway and people were scrapping together and borrowing boards and there's that famous wave that Mark Healy almost got taken over in the lip. That day and how incredible that was could have just been a contest. And I feel like what big wave surfers do is the most fascinating thing in any sport all over the world. The fact that they track swells, they jump on planes and do these strike missions to go and pounce on them and then and then paddle out and and try and try and navigate these beasts in what are such fickle and and difficult conditions to get and find and then they all compete and there's people buzzing around and it's like this community of just mad men and women is is so fascinating to me and i think if the wsl did include that into the world tour it'd be the best thing they could do you know, like I guess the whole philosophy was that you should be able to prove how well you surf in a wide range of conditions to prove yourself as world champ. Yeah. Uh, that's just completely out the window. Now you just have to win at lowers or macaronis next year or wherever it is. But I think if like you, you really wanted to stay true to that, like prove it in as wide a range of conditions as possible, Yeah, uh, it would have been so cool to see. It would have been, you would have to do something to completely change the format to make it be able to run in a day you know you're not you're not running like three man heats with elimination rounds you'd have to like have six person heats you have to figure out the math to actually be able to get a ct to run in a day to do it but um i wish i wish that could happen the other thing about big wave surfing and and as it relates to competition that we haven't really seen yet is the younger generation of surfers that we've seen at you know, in the stab high competitions, the ladybirds, that they've been the most exciting thing. And when someone from that generation starts tackling the big waves as well and start starts making leaps and bounds in that area that, that haven't been made, I think that'll be really, really exciting to see. I think it's only a matter of time too. Um, as far as stab high goes, <clears throat> I could say being there that without a doubt the most like crazy electrifying moment of the whole trip was when Aaron Brooks stuck that, that full rotor into the flats. Um, that more than any other moment, the final day was great and it was super exciting. There was a lot of big errors, you know, Miola stuck a crazy air in the middle of it. There were really exciting moments, but I don't think the group like had such a unified, holy shit, that was a crazy moment more so than we did with that Aaron Brooks air. Wait, did Aaron Brooks just land the best female heir in history? 
Then 10 years from now, it's going to be, it's going to look like a different world. And I would think that our beloved ladybirds will be leading the charge on that because they are capable of whatever they kind of put their minds to, I think. The Challenger Series in Portugal. We are the world's number one Challenger Series podcast. Okay, so we can't talk about a winner yet as we're recording. Uh, we don't have a winner yet, but that said, Zeke Lau is the winner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he he had this win. So we talked about this in the U.S. Open because he was surfing really good there too. But, I mean, the guy is going to be on tour next year. He won the wild cards through Ultimate Surfer. They're all at waves that play so well into his kind of strong suit. Like, he's on tour next year. He's going to even make the mid-year cutoff. But he, he was grinding in Huntington, like while Ultimate Surfer is pretty much being announced that he won. And now he's in Portugal. Like, he just doesn't have to be there. Um, and there's this clip of him. It's in the dying moments of a heat. Shit wave, as we love on the Challenger series. Just doing some turns. And it's like high tide. At low tide, this wave, you don't have to worry about getting close to rocks. But uh, high tide, I, I'd never seen anybody get that far in there. But he did. He, he pretty much lands this air wrap to get a a score at the end of the heat and like hits the rocks. He's gonna have to do something pretty special on the inside to get this big number. Here he goes, he's lining up. There's another snap, I mean he's surfing well, he's surfing strong, but the wave, and there he goes, big, oh, and he lands it. Oh my God. So that was on the rocks, that was a 7.74 he needed, and he's claiming it. I mean, there's a reason why this man's the ultimate surfer. He had to climb up on the rocks with his board after. His board probably got all fucked up. And I was just watching it like, dude, you're on the CT. Like, you should just be training or whatever. But just seeing him do that, he won. You heard it here first, Zeke Lau. So biggest update I have from there is that Zeke Lau is your champion of the Challenger Series. I wonder if he's going to cop any... I mean, probably not because he's already been on tour before and he qualified the the hard way, but I wonder if, if he's going to cop any snide remarks uh, from the other surfers given his, given his, how we got his wild cards via Ultimate Surfer. Yeah, I don't think Zeke's kind of the guy that you first look at and go like, I'm going to give this guy some shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, it is surfs in time. Uh, this is another interesting one in that it's kind of a confession on somebody else's behalf. It's interesting, like the man that we'll hear from himself is not a sinner, but he is concerned about a certain act. Uh, I think he's on to something. I think we've got a case here, so we'll go ahead and run it, and then we'll we'll discuss what to how to move forward. Let's hear it. What's up, boys? I've got a surf and situation for you. So the situation happened a few months ago. I am on the east coast of Florida. Surf for like 20 minutes, and this ground pile sits right next to me and he's sitting so close to me that we have to have a conversation and he's a good kid he's like 12 or 15 from out of state and he surfs well but he's just extremely nervous in the water and he's paddling back and he's sitting right next to me yeah we surf together for 20 30 minutes without saying anything he's sitting right next to me and he turns towards shore and he sprints paddles to shore he's paddling as hard as he can he's kicking his feet and I don't think anything of it, I just assume maybe he surfed for too long and now his parents are upset on the beach or something. But there's so many people on the beach, I can't see anyone like flagging him down. So he just keeps surfing. 20 minutes later, he paddles back out. 
and he paddles right back up to me again and just doesn't say anything. And then a few minutes go by and I kind of say, like, what's up, man? Like, what'd you go in for? And he responds to the question and he asks me, how close do dolphins get to shore? And I was like, well, they'll swim like right up to you. They'll come like all the way to shore. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, I thought I saw a shark, so I piled in. But my mom told me it's probably just a dolphin. So I came back out. And that got me thinking, is it a certain sense to see a shark and not tell the person to be next to you? Ah! All right, Buck, that is, that's a pretty fascinating one. And I like it a lot. I would go as far as to say straight off the bat that it is actually, you know what? Well, the first thing we probably need to decide here is, is this a surf scene? And I'm not the person to say this. I'm from the East Coast of Australia. You're from the East Coast of America and shark size, shark prevalence is a really different thing in, in the two different places we live or are from. What do you think? Is, it a, is that a surf scene? It's hard because like you said, it's so regional, right? Like I would have to think that on the East Coast of Australia right now, it's 100% a sin. Like oh, if time. you think you see a shark and you don't say anything, then there is just no doubt that that is a problem. Um, but then I, I remember this time I was in Hawaii and I was, uh, I remember it was years ago and there was a surfing kind of like a random wave on the other side of Waimea Bay that is known to be a little bit sharkier. And somebody told my friend that I was staying with that he'd seen the shark. He was like, oh, like, just to let you guys know, like, I just saw a shark, like, through a wave. Um, and my buddy got kind of mad. Like, basically, he he wasn't going to go in. He's just like, well, fuck you. Now you just ruined my session. Like, yeah. we didn't go in. But he was just like, I guess, you know, he was confident that we wouldn't get attacked. And he got mad at the guy just because, yeah, we, I guess, we didn't go in. He didn't want to go in. And he got mad for the guy. It just saying it because I guess ignorance is bliss sometimes in that, I guess. Yeah, I've been in that position before where I, th- I thought I've seen a shark and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm pretty sure that was a shark, but I can't say 100%. Do I ruin these people's surf, their good time for a couple of hours or, you know, and, and potentially risk their death or do I just tell them and then they have to go in? And it seems like an obvious choice uh, when you spell it out like that. But in the moment, it's, it's a really tough one to make if you're unsure whether it was a shark or not. I like I said, there is that ignorance is bliss side of it, but I'm comfortable with filing this as a sin. I do have a penance in mind for this young man or for anybody else that has is hearing the story and kind of thinking about maybe something they've done in the past that is a similar thing. Uh, what I have in mind is basically thinking about this kid. I think that he needs to go to an aquarium and. <laughs> He needs to tour the entire thing and that every single exhibit, he just needs to scream the animal name at the top of his lungs. Um, <laughs> That's good. That's really good. And so I think if you, if you have done, if you have sinned, if you pretty much found yourself in this kid's position exactly, then you have to do that too. You have to go to your... He might listen as well. He might listen. Yeah, yeah. So I think just scream it, everything, not just the sharks, just every single thing, you know, your seals, your otters, manatees, top of your lungs, uh, try to go on a weekend, uh, peak hours, you know, Google Maps will show you like peak hours for businesses, go then and scream. If you get kicked out, that's okay. You don't have to do the whole tour, but 
go until you either complete the museum or the complete the aquarium or uh, get escorted off the premises. Wow, that's really good, Buck. I like that a lot. <laughs> Dude, uh, did you have anything in mind? Are you happy with that? Well, I mean, I like that a lot. I mean, maybe we should have a maybe this the format for the show that we, we both offer penances, and then okay. and then people can choose which one they want to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, give them the choice. And I was just like, does this guy even deserve a surf sin when he's got a mum like that? Like his mum's just like, I saw a shark, and then his mum just sends him back out there. Eh, it's probably a dolphin. Like that's not a loving mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess my penance is, you know, I thought this guy needs to, he needs to deal with his fear. Right now he's so scared that he doesn't even take the time to tell a fellow surfer that he might've seen a shark and give them that courtesy. So he needs to, he needs to tackle this fear. And, and I think the modern approach in, in psychotherapy or any kind of psychological um, treatment is exposure therapy. And so I think he should, for the next five surfs, he or anyone who has committed a similar offense has to watch a, like a shark theme movie prior mm. to surfing in the next five surfs and then paddle out. So, you know, and then when he's in the water, he's got to be, can't go too close to anyone, has to stay at least like say 10 feet from anyone and not talk to anyone, just has to deal with that fear on his own or surf by himself. And, you know, movies like Jaws. Um, what are some other shark movies, Buck? Uh, Jaws 2, Jaws 3. Uh. <laughs> Sharks on the plane. Oh, no, no, that's not, uh, that's not, that's snakes on the plane. Sharknado, that could be one. Yeah. Um, isn't there one about like the Megalodon uh, shark thing? The one where Samuel Jackson's giving like a, a really emotional speech and then just gets taken by a shark and then they just ignore him as if it, it, it never happened. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Sounds good oh, though. Oh, my God, it's a great moment. Now you've seen how bad things can get and how quick they can get that way. Well, they can get a whole lot worse. So we're not going to fight anymore. We're going to pull together and we're going to find a way to get out of here. First, we're going to seal off this But yeah, I mean, that's what I would offer. Take your pick of those two penances if you're guilty of this crime, this surf sin. For the audience, yeah, as Danny said, choose your own. Um, whatever you feel like will be more healing for you, go ahead and choose it. I think that's all we got, Buck. I think uh, I think we've we've done what as high priests. Thank you, Zachary Ernst, for sending that surf scene in. I thoroughly enjoyed that. If you have a surf scene, please send it in to Buck or myself. Our emails are in the episode description. Buck at stabmag.com or Danny at stabmag.com. Next up, we have a chat with Kobe Abaddon. Everyone knows bra boy Kobe Abaddon. He's the former Gotcha Pro winner, Australian big wave maniac that is currently based in Bali and he's on a TV show at the moment called SAS Australia. It's a reality show where they put Australian celebrities through a series of physical and psychological tests and yeah, it's run by a team of ex-special forces. Soldiers? Are they soldiers? I think they're soldiers. Are you ready? Go! Get through To Australia, you're a celebrity. I don't care. No matter how hard you've ever pushed. 
how much fear you've ever faced. That's nothing. Because you're going to where you've never been before. To your breaking point. So tell me, what have you got to prove? It's pretty hammed up, classic reality TV tropes but in saying that it's actually pretty entertaining and what the contestants have to do is legitimately pretty psycho like really scary things like hanging out of helicopters and being dropped into the water while being strapped inside a car and on the show kobe's super divisive he's supremely confident unapologetic and always really honest and he's simply simply put he's the most entertaining guy they have, which which means he's featured on the show more than anyone, more than the high-profile footballers and tennis players and other celebrity. Kobe's featured the most. And when we did this interview, the episode had just aired where Kobe had to pull out of the show because of ongoing back injuries and he was ready to talk about his experience on the show. What was your initial reaction when they approached you to, to be on the show? Did you, was it an immediate yes or is that, was that something you had to think about for a bit? Danny, if I, if I was serious, mate, I, I, I looked, the first thing I did was I looked at the, um, the, the show beforehand, you know, season one, and I looked at it and I know that I've had a bad back and I'm always struggling with a back for 10 years, you know, 15 years, and I, but I know that I'm a strong man. I, I know that I'm physically fitter than... 99.9% of people, you know, and that's an honest fact. I surf twice a day, I train, you know, everyone's seen a bad Kobe, but I don't know if you can remember that a good Kobe, a good Kobe's a pretty strong man and, and I was always pretty confident in myself to do well. So I sort of looked at it and then I watched the show and then I seen all the fun things that they were doing, you know, jumping out of helicopters and abseiling and rock climbing and all this and that. And I'm like, my boy would love to to see me doing this and I said to me uh me woman I'm like what do, what do you reckon should I do the show and she's like well it's up to you but you can hardly walk most days oh so so give us give us a little background in, into your back so you recently it, it just aired that you had to pull out because you're back you've broken it a couple of times can you just can you just explain like what you've what you're carrying around there with that injury Oh, so the first time I did it I was at desert point it was like 10 12 feet and I was sitting down the grove by myself and I got a mental one, like a big one. And I got previously on the way before I got washed around the cliff. And anyone who knows that knows it's an hour and a half, like an hour, sorry, an hour. Like the whole saga to get back into the ocean is about an hour and a half. Plus you're on dry reef getting 20 set, 10 set sets on the head, you know, on a, on a knee high on a knee-high rock like shelf, you know, like you're getting smashed around there. So you don't want to go through that. So anyway, I was out there and a, and a, a, a big one come and I seen it had a good ang- angle where I could have made it and I was wanted it to call me last wave in and I went a big one. I was only on a 5.9. It was about a 10, 12 footer. And I thought, I seen it. I thought I can do a nice little drag and just go through it, you know, and travel with it. And then I did it perfectly. I'd done all that. My ball was a bit shaky because it was a bit small. But anyway, I doggy doored it. And as I've doggy doored it... Um, I've seen that it's the reef's starting to come up in front of me, you know, so it's like dry. And it's like, and I'm going Mach 10 speeds out of a 12 foot barrel, you know, it's, 
there's photos and video of it. But anyway, so I pull forward because I want to, don't want to get stuck around the fucking corner and I know there's bigger sets behind it. So I'm like, got an option. Do I, do I um, pull off and get caught inside or do I doggy door and go straight? And I'll doggy door it. As I went straight, the whitewash hit me and then as it hit me, instead of rolling over me, it just picked me up and just like, I felt like I, you know, you ever have those wipeouts, you know, when you can see people on the beach and shit, you're like really in the air, you feel like, <laughs> yeah. and mate, I'm in the air and I just remember thinking to myself, fuck, I'm upside down in the air and I could see sort of in between my legs looking at the beach, yeah, and then next thing I just like was really in the air and went boom, this big bang, and as I banged, I heard all the reef crack, I heard it go, <coughs> I got dragged along and I got about six more on the head and I was fucked and I just come in, I couldn't really work. Right then, my mate gave me a tramadol. This guy, uh, who was just there, he's like, have these. What's a tramadol? Tramadol's like a sort of a painkiller. Tramadol is the devil. For anyone listening, all those pain pills are the devils. But anyway, tramadol's a pain pill. Yeah. Um, I've had that. I've kind of didn't know the strength of it and I was, you know, they were strong and I'm kind of feeling good and and went surfing, you know, all the rest of the afternoon and had some mental ones. But then anyway, long story short, about six months later, I wake up one day and I can't get out of bed. And I'm in Bali and I'm like, fuck, what's going on? So then I had to go back to Australia because they couldn't find it here. Then I had to go back to Australia and I'd, I'd broken the, a little piece off the bottom of my spine um, when I got wiped out. But it, it, took us, it took us a year and a half to get to that point. You know, so uh, it was a hard job, and it just turned into a fucking nightmare. And that's and that's how long ago was that? That's something, and it's something that's hung around. That was in like that was in two thousand and thirteen or fourteen or something. Oh, and then and then another time I was I duck dived away and out of the same place and done the same thing. It picked me up and slammed me into the rocks. Getting caught inside, and then I done it again. I just landed on the. On the, so then I went home and uh, two, years, two years of not knowing what I had wrong with me, I went into a doctor and he goes, let me x-ray your back. And I, they found it because my legs were sore. So then two years like, what, later after the surgery and everything went well, I went back out there and done it again on a huge day. Oh, my God. Well, so you had, those, you had the limitations physically because of your back. What about the mental side? Because they opened the first episode and they're talking about how all celebrities are, have huge egos and they're basically just saying they're all – you're all fuckwits. And- Let's be honest, like, I'm a bit mad, yeah, and I know I'm a bit mad. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stigma around mental health and you look at a couple of the people that went on, that's why I admire the show. You went and look at a couple of people who went on the show. It wasn't until I stood back and watched the show that I realised, in a way, they're helping people, you know, they're showing uh, mental issues, they're showing, you know, all these things on the air and they're even talking about it, you know. So it's opening it up a big part of it. If I'm a little bit mad, well, fuck it. I'm a little bit mad. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I'm good with it. And so there was, no, there was no part about their stripping of the ego or any of the, the psychological challenges that they put on you that, that messed you up? If you want to say stripping your ego in the first episode, they took me in a room and put the fucking gas on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know what that's got to do with ego. That fucking hurt me eyes. I was choking and dying. You know what I mean? Sure, they're selling you a TV show and, and you're buying into it. Yeah, for sure. 
But but it's great TV and I loved it. I, I thought it was awesome. You were a pretty pivotal character on the show. That they, they, they seemed to really hinge on you a lot. Did you get a sense that that was going to happen when you were there? Because I feel like in every background scene they're kind of getting your reaction shot, your little comment and, and then they really... When, when you really tell the truth, Danny, when you're really like it doesn't... You don't care if the truth makes you look good or bad and when you really tell the truth and you mean it, people listen. And when they listen and when you're a bit crazy and when you, they don't know what to take of you and then you look at my Instagram and I've got kids and wife and she's beautiful and all these things, people start to go like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? And they become interested. And that's what's happened on the show. I say what I want, when I want, I don't care about a reaction. It's my opinion. Where does that confidence come from though? Because that's pretty rare. And there's even moments where you're just like blatantly honest about how you're feeling. You're like, I've got a six pack, I fucking look good and... And I'm feeling great. And my, you rarely hear that. Like, where, where, where do you think you've suddenly got that unique honesty? I didn't suddenly get this. I was raised by men who all thought they were animals and all thought they were stronger than me and all thought they were more ripped. You know what I mean? I was in this environment since the start. If you didn't like it, you had a fight. You know what I mean? And that's how the environment some of us were raised in. But coming back to, you know, like we're talking about mental health and what am I supposed to do? Go on the show and say how much I hate myself? You know what I mean? I don't mind myself. I'm all right. I'm all right with me, bro. I'm just showing you I ain't give a fuck. I mean, I'm enjoying my life. You know what I mean? I, I, I like who I've become. I've never done nothing I ain't wanted to do. Do you see anything I'm trying to shop to you? That's the difference. I ain't shopping nothing. I'm shopping a good person who loves himself and is happy with his life. That's all I'm shopping to you. I wish you all the best, you know what I mean? Like, we're in a scary state of the world right now. We need some people to talk some truth. Like, these kids aren't, this mental health and all these suicides and shit, they ain't gonna get better telling lies. The show touches on a lot of serious topics, but there's also a lot of like uh, army, army style moments where you're getting yelled at. How much of the show is, is hammed up for reality TV? and how much of it is actually like proper legit. Every, every, every time I watch the show, I'm pretty amazed by the story they can get, you know? But if you look at it like completely, you put, you put 18 people in a room full of testosterone and uh, you know, whatever else, you're gonna get some interesting stories and you're gonna be able to spin things as 24 hours of footage and 24 hours of video and like, what do you call it? Like, uh, microphones on, you know. Even when we sleep, we had microphones on. It's like, you know, they ha they could make forty shows. And let's talk about the cheating scandal. So there's this scenario where everyone had to do a fitness challenge. You you just said straight up, I'm the fittest here, and you went first. But they had these hidden cameras, and and you were doing a whole bunch of things. But on one of them, they caught you doing less, doing fifteen push-ups when you were meant to do thirty. And then they whole, built a, basically a whole episode around that moment. I could explain it to you, but if it's easier to call me a cheat, I'm a cheat, yeah? But I could say this to you. We done four sets in real life, yeah? And the first lot were, uh, the first ones were half and the second ones were full. So we done a 15 set and a 30, yeah? And we done four sets, okay? And then in that show, I miscounted. So how did it, and so that, that didn't exactly tell that entire side of the story on the show. How did it feel when you're watching it back and you, you were being represented as the cheat and, and they, they basically made a whole episode around it? 
I was standing there with me kid. He was sitting there with me watching it, bro, and I had to explain it to him. I just went, uh, dad miscounted, you know what I mean? Like, but like, for me, mate, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck what these nitwits think. What about your just reaction uh, your, or your, the way you've been perceived from the show in general? Like how, how have you, um, what sort of feedback have you had and how have you processed it? I went on the show to like, you know, make me kid happy and me wife proud of me for trying and putting it all on the line and, you know, generally probably going to make a count of myself, you know what I mean? Like, I'm me. Like, she knew, I knew, everyone knows who knows me that depending on how I'm feeling, this show could go a lot of ways. Let's talk about fitness for a second. Where's your motivation come for fitness? Because there's, there's no one making you reach the level of fitness that you are currently. Like, where, what goes on in your head when it comes to motivating yourself? I like to surf and I like to look ripped doing it. That's what I do it for. Fit, I like to be strong and I like to be healthy. So there's, there's a moment on the show where they say, all right, line up in order of fittest to most unfit. And there's a guy there who's, a, who's an Ironman who dedicates his life to doing Ironman stuff and you just walk straight past him to the very front of the line. Did you want that competition or did you genuinely think I can smash any one of these people? Well, in real life, I smashed him. And every time I ran past him, I said, you're running like a little, I can't say, you know, because I got in trouble for it. You know, in real life, I did smash him and everyone else on there in that. I was the fittest, ask anyone on the show. And I know it because I believe it, because I do it. I'm out there banging the mountains, mate. I'm out there running around, you know, enjoying my life. And what about, what about the fight scene when um, they asked if anyone wanted to fight you and half the people put their <laughs> hand up? Um, I reckon they all should have. They all hated me <laughs> in some sort of way. Every one of them. I was there to drive them mad. That was my simple understanding of saying yes. I only go there and be fitter than all these people just because I can. And I'm going to play them the whole way and have a good time and get paid and go home laughing. What did you guys get paid? Everyone got 40 grand for being on the show? Nah, double that and a bit more, yeah. Hey, on the money topic, you asked Mark Philippoussis, who's a, was, you know, for a little while there, was an internationally ranked tennis star on the world tour. He was number two. I was his biggest fan. He used to, uh, I watched him in the, Ameri uh, the US Open. I think Leighton beat him. Me and my grandma sat there and like, Watched him all night. It was, you know, he was a legend. He yeah. had the fastest yeah. serve in the game. He wasn't just a, someone, he was a legend. Yeah, huge, huge, huge star. And, and you asked him on camera, you know, how much he earned. Talk to me about that interaction. Are you not interested in how much he earned? No, that's why, that's why I'm asking. He was obviously not that comfortable with it. Well, I don't really give a fuck what he was. You know why I did it? I did it because I want little kids to remember how much sportsmen are getting paid and how great a lifestyle a sportsman is. A tennis player is a much better person than an Instagram person, I tell you. You know what I mean? A tennis player is admire, I admire them. You know what I mean? Your little trick chop people or whatever they're called and your, and your YouTube and your social medias, you're ruining, you're ruining our cultures. You're, ruin, you're ruining what it means to be human. So what I wanted to do, I wanted to bring attention to how much money these, these uh, sporting stars are making because I want my kids to be sportsmen. You were effectively on this show and you had four bosses and you've been really open about how much you don't like authority and you had not only four bosses, people telling you what to do, but you've got behind the scenes, you've got directing staff bossing you around, but, and then the, the bosses on the show, these SAS, um, the enforcers or whatever you want to call them, they're screaming at your face three centimetres from, from your face. How did, how did that go down for you, being someone who hates authority? 
I said that, yeah? and what I meant by what that is, I don't like a little nerd at school who got picked on every single day to put on a blue uniform, carry a badge and a gun and call himself a man. He's a little nerd and you're still a nerd. But then again, these people, they've been out there killing people and standing up for our country. I will listen to them because I respect men who deserve the respect. I would love to get your reflections on the show. So like, you're obviously put through a shitload of challenges and it's difficult. What, what did you learn about yourself or, or how do you reflect on the show now? Yeah, it was pretty, it was actually pretty humbling, you know, like it, cause I know I'm strong and I know I'm fit and stuff, but like even with a sore back to have to walk away and I really did choose for my family life going forward. You know, I, 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 I don't want to say I could finish the show because I gave up. And I'm not saying that, but like to look back on it, uh, it was quite a humble thing to be on national TV and give up for a person like me. You know, it, it, it really humbled me and in a way of like, um, but I made that decision based on my past. And my past was, you know, when I hurt my back, I got stuck on these fucking pain pills and all that shit. And I'm going forward for a place of love with my family, you know, and, and it was just a stepping stone of life for me, I reckon. A moment in time. What, what do you take away from it? I really took away like simplicity. They were giving us rules and stuff and it was very simple rules and none of us listened to them. We all done our own thing. And at the end of the show, they come up to him and said, the easiest thing in life is simplicity, you know? Learn by your past steps. And I thought about it and I thought about every little thing we done on the show. And before the moment of doing it, we were all generally scared when the rules were laid out in front of us, but we're just perceiving it the way we wanted to see it. You know what I mean? We were making it really hard when it really was go from here to there, go A, B, C, D, you know, and come home. And we made everything hard. So looking back at that, I think our, our, our brains just choose uh, the harder way. And I want to take it out of uh, that hard way that's, you know, that's really hard and go on to an easier way of life. Instead of like punishing yourself, I guess, is probably what we all do. Is that what you're saying? I'm my own, I'm my, the, the best self-torturer there is, you know, so it's obviously a part of that, but also like just moving forward, you know? And what about just being vulnerable in, in general on that platform? It's national TV. It's a really, really popular show. And then you're getting grilled on your personal story and, and, and your character and all those things. Is that something that is comfortable for you? Why I'm so comfortable with this is because I'm not really speaking to you rich people, you know. I'm not speaking to no rich people. I don't want you, I don't, I don't care what the rich people think of me. I care about the kids who are in the same situations I was in when I was a kid. And that's the kid who um, lives in the house with mum's a junkie, dad's a junkie, all these junkie mates are coming over and you've got no other way out. A lot of my friends who grew up in those situations, pretty much all of them, are dead or in jail. And I'm just telling these kids about sport and, and you know, trying and determination and letting them know that there is an option if you can, you know, you find your little thing you're good at. And that's my whole reasoning for going on the show and I speak openly about that. And they don't, they choose not to show up, but that's what I'm about. All those kids know who I am. They know from what my past is. They've all watched Bra Boys, you know what I mean? These kids who, who need help. And that's what our whole aim has always been. And we remained true to that. And I remain true to it to this day. You know, I'm there for the kids who, who really need it.
And anything else that we haven't touched on about the show that you think is worthy of chatting about? Hey, can I have a shout out? Yes, whoever you want. Hey, boys, everyone in Australia, you know what you're seeing is wrong. We need to stand up. Men need to stand up. All of us together go forward as one. Vaccinated, unvaccinated, we're all in this together. I love all the Australians. Let's move forward as men and women of Australia. Let's move forward as men and women of Australia. Let's move forward as men. Let's move forward as men. Let's move forward as men. That's it. That's all we have for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Other countries adopted the practice of giving female names to cyclones, but in 1975, which was International Women's Year, the then Australian Science Minister ordered that they be given both male and female names, which was a first in the world. These days, the Bureau of Meteorology is responsible for the naming of tropical cyclones in the Australian region, and the names come from a predetermined alphabetical list which alternates between male and female names. We currently have enough names on the list to last for at least the next 10 years.